You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. For someone who studies outer space, Morgan Cable has been on some pretty cool work trips right here on Earth. The most unique place I've ever been was the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. It's called the Roof of Africa. Its altitude is, what, 5895 meters, so it's about 20,000 feet. We camped at the top for four nights, and it was just so incredibly beautiful. Morgan is a research scientist in Pasadena, California. She's based at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory and studies extreme environments, environments found in places like the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. Up there, it's very barren. I mean, you there aren't even plants at the top. There's, uh, you know, some rock, there's some ice, and there are things that have been blown up from sort of the, the Serengeti down below and deposited over time by the wind. And Morgan hacks into that ice. She wants to see what's inside of it. We are looking for something called biosignatures or biomarkers. And essentially, that is stuff that tells us that life is there or was there in the past. There are things like pollen and stuff like that that's preserved and also bits of bacteria. Um, Certain things that we call bacterial spores. These are the toughest form of life we found on Earth. So tough that they can survive in space. See, as an astrobiologist, Morgan has trekked all over planet Earth to identify biomarkers fit for space travel, from lava fields in Iceland to the Atacama Desert in Chile. By looking closely at extreme life here on Earth, down to the bacterial spore, Morgan is getting a pretty good idea of how life might survive on other worlds. They're like microbial hitchhikers. They could survive a transfer from a spacecraft or from a meteor or something like that and visit another world. So today on the show, Morgan Cable's quest for extreme life on Earth and how it's helping her plan two space missions, Clipper to the moon Europa and Dragonfly to the moon Titan. Those missions are searching for life in this galaxy right here in our solar system. I'm Emily Kwong, and you're listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. So, Morgan, um, Europa is a moon of Jupiter, Enceladus is a moon of Saturn. But why would a NASA scientist want to go to the tops of mountains on Earth to better understand the moons of these faraway planets? We call these environments extreme environments because they tend to have one or more properties that make it really tough for life to survive. Uh, sometimes that means it's it's really cold and the organisms need to spend a lot of energy to kind of keep warm. Um, sometimes it can mean that they, they have a lot of salt. And so some of these organisms may need to fight to keep a lot of that salt out of the insides of their cells. And so these kinds of things make it more challenging for organisms to live. And so they'll adapt in different ways to be able to handle uh, whatever that extreme environment throws at them. But usually that means that we don't have a whole lot of big organisms. You know, for example, we don't expect to find uh, whales or something like that swimming in the oceans of Enceladus or Europa. But chances are there's just not enough food for a whale to eat, but we're not ruling it out. Wow. That's that's really uh, a, a thing to take with you that sometime a space whale might be discovered. But anyway, go I on. Know. Well, so could you imagine like picking up a whale no. song in an alien ocean? How amazing that would be. Anyway, I digress. Okay. But yeah, so what do we look for? Well, we, as you know, still only have a sample size of one 
when it comes to life. There's one planet we know life exists on, that's Earth, that is our one example. And we, as scientists, as astrobiologists, try really hard not to be biased by that. Because alien life in a different ocean, on a different world, could be very, very different from Earth life. So we try to take what we call an agnostic view, where instead of looking, say, for the specific genetic code of Earth life, instead, we would look for something that would fill that same role. We would assume that any organism in that ocean or, or frozen in the ice would still need some way to, to reproduce and have some kind of like instructions encoded like DNA does for us. There are other examples of things we could look for too, like let's say that this is in a liquid water ocean. Well, we might assume that cells in that ocean would still want to have some kind of a cell membrane or cell wall, something to keep their molecular machinery bits isolated from the ocean. Uh, the point is that we will look for things that, we, that try not to be exclusively biased by Earth life. Yeah, we're a little too Earth-centric down here, you know? So, uh, Dr. Cable, to the best of your knowledge, where else in the universe may life exist? Besides Earth, of course. And how can you even tell that life may exist in a place? So typically it's three things. It's liquid water, chemistry, like chemical building blocks, you know, organic mm -hmm. molecules, and energy, an energy source. Okay, so that's your criteria for, for scanning for possible places for life. Yep, and we call those places habitable worlds or habitable environments, places where life could exist if it was there. I'm a little biased, but the top three for me are Enceladus, Europa and Titan, and these all fall into that category of ocean worlds that we've been talking about. These are typically moons of Jupiter and Saturn that have a crust of ice, and then underneath that crust they have a liquid water ocean. And in some places, like the case of Europa, that ocean is bigger than all of Earth's oceans combined. Titan has a liquid water ocean deep in the inside, but also on its surface it has a different liquid. It has liquid methane and ethane. So when I give talks to kids, I always talk about lakes of liquid fart, and they get really excited. <laughs> it gets me excited, too. We had an episode on shortwave a few uh, years ago that I'm going to send you. It's every moon ranked. Someone went and ranked the moons, and Titan was number one. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's cool. Mm, I'm unbiased. <laughs> what I'm not an biased. honest reaction. <laughs> But they're all cool. We're in the, the pocket of uh, Team Titan over here. You're, you're among friends. Oh, my God. Well, I love Titan. But I also love, I mean, Enceladus is spewing free sample from its ocean into space. It's kind of like, hey, NASA, you want to know if there's life here? Just come on by. You don't even have to dig or drill. Just come on. And, and Europa might have a plume, too. So it's like each of these places is so unique and special and fascinating in its own right. And it's important for us to study each and every one of them. It's just a super cool time to be alive and to be a scientist uh, studying astrobiology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dr. Cable, I want to talk about two missions that NASA has on tap right now that you're a part of. The Clipper mission, which launches in 2024 to the Europa moon of Jupiter, and the Dragonfly mission, which hopefully launches in five years and is set to go to Saturn's icy moon of Titan. Let's talk about Dragonfly Titan first. Tell me about it. Oh my gosh, this one is super exciting. So Dragonfly 
it's take one of the big Mars rovers, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, Curiosity or, or Percy, Perseverance. They're like the size mm-hmm. of a car, right? So take one of those, take the wheels off, put skis on, and then give this thing eight helicopter blades. That is Dragonfly, and it is awesome. And the reason that we're doing this <laughs> is because Titan, which is a moon of Saturn, like you said, it is about one-sixth, one-seventh Earth's gravity, so similar to our moon, but then it has a thick atmosphere, so if you were standing on the surface of Titan, you, and you had wings and you flapped them, you could fly. And so it turns out that being able to fly doing these like multi-kilometer hops, the dragonfly is going to do is actually a lot more efficient than it would be to just sort of drive like we traditionally do on Mars. And I'm involved in helping to figure out uh, what the composition of, of Titan may be, hmm. whether or not there's a possibility of prebiotic chemistry or whether indeed we find evidence of biosignatures today. All of that we could do with this mission, and it's such an exciting thing to be a part of. Mm. And I know that some scientists think there is no possibility of life on Titan because it is too cold. What do you say to that? The only way to test if that hypothesis is true or not is to go there and look, right? Uh, Certainly, life as we know it, could not exist on the surface. It is much too cold. And so any cell that needs liquid water, which as far as we know, all Earth life does, uh, could not survive on the surface. That being said, Mm -hmm. there could be pockets of liquid water uh, from meteoric impacts and things like that. We've also got those hydrocarbon lakes, right? A different liquid that could allow for different chemistries to happen. And like you said, we don't really know unless we go there. Yeah, and every time we have sent a mission somewhere else, it has completely revolutionized our understanding of that world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what are you working on for the Clipper mission, which is going to Jupiter's moon Europa? This mission is super cool. So we're trying to understand, you know, the, the gooey insides and the chunky bits that are that are inside Europa and what that might mean for, for habitability and for how Europa came to be and stuff like that. And for the two instruments I'm involved in, One of them is called MISE, which stands for Mapping Imaging Spectrometer for Europa. And it's basically just a fancy camera. And that gives us access to what you could think of as molecular fingerprints Mm -hmm. that tell us what the surface is made of. So we can tell the difference between different kinds of ice, different salts, or if there are organic molecules there, we'll be able to see what they are and where they are on the surface which is really Mm. cool. So that's MISE. And the other instrument I'm involved in is called SUDA. This is the Surface Dust Analyzer instrument. And so this instrument is a great way to study the things that are being sputtered off the surface. There are all these micrometeoroid impacts that are happening all the time and shooting bits of Europa up into space. And then if Europa has a plume, when we fly through that plume with Europa Clipper, we'd be able to tell you what the composition of the, the ice grains or the dust grains are made of. These missions sound so cool. And as we close, Dr. Cable, do you have any advice for aspiring young scientists who are interested in the Jet Propulsion Lab at NASA? How can they aim their spaceship in that direction? A lot of scientists, engineers, and the others who work here at JPL had very circuitous paths. But one common element I found is that they all pursued things they were passionate about and just followed that wherever it took them. You know, I have one colleague who worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a while and then looked up one night and was looking at Saturn and was wondering about Titan and decided that he wanted to change careers. And so he came and now we work on Titan stuff together. 
Uh, there are science writers that help us communicate. We even have artists, resident artists. So follow your passion, what you really love to do. And if there's some sort of space flavor to it, you could find yourself uh, here working at JPL one day. And I would love to meet you if you do. Dr. Cable, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really great to talk to you. Oh, Emily, this was such a huge pleasure. And thank you so much for the invitation. And yeah, I mean, keep looking up, keep asking questions, and we'll do our best to give you answers. This episode was produced by Burley McCoy and Margaret Serino. It was edited by Giselle Grayson, who is also our senior supervising editor, and fact-checked by Margaret Serino. The audio engineer was Josh Newell. Neil Carruth is our senior director of on-demand news programming, and Anya Grunman is our senior vice president of programming. I'm Emily Kwong, and you're listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. NPR.